0: welcome to remember that Guide to the sports podcast where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present i am one of your co-hosts james fullweiler
1: i am your other co-host justin diaz and special guest why don't you
2: introduce yourself yeah i'm B. Permanent rotating guest host, Xavier Perez. Hey, Xavier, just a question. How are the Knicks doing right now? The Celtics. The Knicks Love are it. back,
0: baby. Basketball's back. The Knicks it's are back. It's always Rocking. fuck the Celtics. Did, we, did, we, did our teams clean sweep last night? Six, have Sixers played yet?
1: Sixers did. Sixers had a nice 20-point job uh, over the Zionless Pelicans
0: clean sweep. The Spurs are going to go 82-0. and Greg Popovich is now 25 wins away from most all-time. Devin Vassell out of Florida State was the leading scorer for the San Antonio Spurs last night, which was wild. I did not think that Devin Vassell was going to be like an offensive centerpiece this year, so that was cool. And uh, the, the Spurs are 23-2 and in home openers in Greg Popovich's career. Fucking 23-2. and That is, I mean, yes, you have Tim Duncan for like 20 of those but still like that's insane
1: it's it's just it's a testament to Popovich because one thing that I would always say is if you give Popovich enough time to prepare I would always take his team over the others and you have no there's no game that you have more time to prepare for than the first game of the season so certainly no surprises there yeah I mean Pop watch.
0: like I said 25 wins to go the, the overtime win for the, the Knicks was absolutely phenomenal. Evan Fournier looked like... Double Don't overtime. Google his name. Double, I'm Google so sorry. Name. I forgot that it went to double overtime. I I admit I was like following towards the end and, and dozed off a little
2: bit because I am a wuss. But God, Evan Fournier.
1: Evan Fournier is ridiculous. He
2: was on fire. He, he, Can... he was on fire in the first overtime. Yeah. And that game, I think, took what, two to three five, years 13? off my lifespan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, there was a sequence in the first overtime where I swear it was six straight possessions where it was like three mixed threes and three Celtics threes just back to back to back to back to back and it was like welcome to 2021 NBA all these guys can hit any shot from anywhere on the court except for he who shall not be named who yes. I, it, I, I just, just BS I don't need to get into it again I don't need to get into it again yeah. it is it's all BS
0: that was, um, hey, that's who was making memories for you last week. We're, we're moving on to that. We're moving on to the memories that we're making right now. Diaz, who is making memories for you right now?
1: Right now making memories for me is Furkan Korkmaz, a uh, future guy. If you follow our Twitter account, um, we did tweet about him earlier today. Furkan Korkmaz is just the most adorable three-point shooter I've ever seen in my life. You know, he came over here at, I believe, the age of 19 from Turkey, barely spoke wow. any English. and. You could see it, him playing in the Turkish League, um, that the skill was there. The swag is there. And now he is getting to show it on an NBA stage. He had about 14 points in about a three-minute span last night, and he also tried to dunk all over somebody. Didn't come anywhere near close. He kind of got, like, upended when he tried to jump over the guy. we like
0: the confidence. We like the confidence, man.
1: Peak confidence, and I would encourage all of you to follow him on Twitter because with his $3 million, $15 million uh, contract that he signed this offseason, um, he had some money to spend, and he has spent a lot of that money on just elite video production for all the his social media channels. His it's-
0: logo. I have actually – I've seen his logo, and, you know, number one thing for an audio medium is to talk about, like, visuals and logos. But it's – it. God, I love NBA player logos because there's – it's like a one percent hit rate. Ninety nine percent just they're all. You know Kawhi Leonard's. is just a fucking hand. It's like K. The claw. He's the claw. He's yeah. The I, claw. I, Yes, is. I know that. I, I I love Kawhi Leonard, but no, it's a it's a silly logo. But uh, for that logo is an emoji that's worth like I think a hundred points in our fantasy basketball league uh Slack chat.
1: Yes, Furkan Corkmaz, please continue to not only fill up the basket with threes, but continue to fill my heart. With nothing but love for you, he has done nothing but improve since he got here. And Furkan Korkmaz, thank you for the fond memories that you are making for me.
0: Uh, If I may, I don't know if he's got uh, a nickname, but the Turkish Delight? The Turkish Delight, perhaps? You know, that thing that uh... we all read about in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then, like, maybe eat once ten years later and realize it's kind of bullshit, but have all built it up (laughs) because of it? Hey, I'm just going to let you know, if you've never tasted Turkish Delight, kind of sucks. But man, they make it sound in Lion, Witch, of the Wardrobe like it's the, like it's manna from heaven. So
1: that's, all
2: of Turkey now. Oh yeah.
1: Well, so the Turkish delight is something that the Sixers Twitter account has dabbled in. Uh, it's also Air <laughs> Turkey. There's Furky with the jerky from Turkey when he does something with, like, a little sauce on it. That's
0: pretty phenomenal. Ooh, that's good. That's too long. long. No, we need more, like, silly long things in sports. I'm all for that.
1: Furky with the jerky from Turkey. Keep it going. Love you.
0: That sounds like beautiful memories in the
2: making. How about you, X? You know what? I've already talked about the Knicks, so I'm going to go a little off the board here. With the memories that could be good, could be bad, we'll see what happens. The American Athletic Conference, the feared home of our beloved Temple Owls, has now officially today tripled the the number of owls in their conference by adding six more teams from Conference USA. You can now have the full-on Owl Cup between Temple, Rice, and FAU. Fucking Uh, bird gang, let's go. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You it's know, a. Do, you, do, do you gentlemen remember having? what? Do you gentlemen
0: remember what a group of owls is called? I believe I've told you this parliament. before. It's a parliament it's a, yes, of the parliament owls.
2: parliament of owls. Thank you, the, the parliament cup. Uh, this it's an interesting strategy. What they're going for with the teams that are in bigger metros, but maybe not as well supported, or you know, as good. Uh, of the American rose from the ashes once before with the Big East. We'll see what happens this time. Could be good, could be bad, but it's gonna be interesting regardless.
1: So for me, looking at the teams we've added, I think it's good for the football conference. I do worry about the basketball because none of those teams are any good at all at basketball. You could probably beat Purdue
2: in the NCAA tournament last year. I mean, hey,
0: if 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 none of them are good, then win the conference championship and get you, get your fucking spot that way.
2: Very true. Very true. I need thought. to... No reason for Temple not to you
0: know, really, really just... kick
2: on as one of the top teams. I mean, we, we've already won the basketball title and the football title in this conference. We're what, one of two or three teams that have done that that aren't going to the Big 12? It should be Memphis, SMU, and us. There's no reason not, for it not to be. And if Temple wants to be good again, no excuse now. It's there for the taking.
0: It's, I, I appreciate you guys following the, the Temple Owls. I, you know, Tavon Young is the temple all I care about the most right now, uh, my beautiful Ravens. He's out. He's making memories for me right now, though. I, I want to share I'm going way off the beaten path for this, but this is someone that I have, like, seen a couple times on Twitter recently that I've just become absolutely enamored with. Have you guys heard of Matt Ariza? So no, Matt, Matt Araiza, Ariza, he is a college football player, plays for San Diego State. So he is my second favorite San Diego State Aztec of all time. high Kawhi Leonard. Fun fact, Adam Jones also committed there before he was drafted by the Seattle Mariners when Tony Gwynn was the uh, was the coach for their baseball team. No way. Uh, but he did not go. So Kawhi Leonard, number one Aztec. Number two, though, is Matt Ariza. He is the kicker and punter for the San Diego State Aztecs. And he has been ranked this year as their fifth most important player offensively uh, by collegefootball.com, which is actually a bit of a step down from when he was third two seasons ago. But let me tell you why. I'm going to lead off with one of my favorite genres of stat ever. I think you'll understand what I mean in a moment. His average punt right now is 50.98 yards, which is nuts. That is currently on pace for the record. It is 3.5 yards higher than the second place one. Second place is 3.5 yards higher than 10th place. He's, he's so separated from the pack. Like I said, he is going for that record right now. 50.98 would be the current record of 50.97. Anyone know who holds that NCAA record? Xavier, do you happen to know who holds the NCAA record for, for longest punt average? Is it Brayden Man? It is Brayden Man. It is your boy Brayden Man of the Jets. Yeah. He did it with Texas A&M in 2018. But right now, Matt Arise is gunning for it. He, he's insane. He's an insanely good punter. He's a legitimate weapon as a punter. He had a game recently in the first game of the season. He averaged 56.8 yards on nine punts. Two of them were 70-plus. One was 75, one was 77. That brought his uh, all-time record for the school up to three 70-plus yard punts. That is a, a tie for the school record. In 192 fewer attempts than the other person who has it, a Michael Hughes, uh, who I looked up, never never played any professional ball, just, just college ball. Like I said, he's their, he's their place carrier too. He's just got, like, an absolute can of a leg. He's a pretty good field goal carrier. Like, in the 90s, he had a record. He was one game short, actually, of the Division I record to start your career with most consecutive games with a field goal made. Um, and it's literally he didn't get it because they just didn't attempt a field goal in the 12th game. Uh, I believe this. Is he
2: is he an Aussie rules kicker? Is, is no. he like done? he
0: totally he has the two different approaches, which is really cool. Like he has you know a standard kind of place kicking kick, and then he just booms punts. And he's he talks about punting in a kind of interesting way. He was saying like you know he doesn't really think about. He says he and other punters don't think about like that 77 yarder that he made because it rolled 15 yards. He's like oh man that there there is one that he remembers where it went in the air 68 yards he's like, that's the one that I remember. And he's like, I think I can get to like 75 in the air. That's his goal. He's trying to, this dude is trying to become, he's trying to become the Justin Tucker of punters. And all I'm saying is, I love Sam Cooke, Baltimore Ravens. Sam Cooke's getting old. We already have the Justin Tucker of kickers. Let's make sure that we get Matt Rise of the Justin Tucker of punters when he comes up. But right now, it's just so cool to see someone be so good at a thing that, like, look, there's never a time you're happy to see your team's punter on the field unless he's rushing the field after you've won a game. There's never a good time for the punter. But, man, Matt Arise is pretty fun to watch. So that's who's making memories for me right now.
2: Special teamers are people, too. Saying, special teamers uh, are people, too. Well, he would fit
1: right in with John Harbaugh, special teams ace. I'd say, hey, it man. would be too perfect.
0: You don't, you don't got to tell me about how the Ravens will never lose on special teams. I remember yelling that to my cousin once as we returned a touchdown uh, against the Chicago Bears in a game that we did ultimately lose. But hey, we didn't lose on special teams. Anyway, the time has come for us to get to our guys. I'm going to go ahead and lead off this week. And I want to tell you guys about a player. Now, we've exclusively used retired players. And I, I will admit that this guy, there's a slight technicality. If you had asked just a year or two ago, uh, as this retired professional sports player, at least in North America, the answer would have been, uh, yeah, absolutely. But there's there's a great epilogue to this. And that's that's kind of my teaser for Anderson Varejau. Anderson Varejau is my guy this week. That's a guy. Anderson Varejau. What a guy, right? Like, immediately, what a guy. Anderson Varejau. Wild thing uh, uh, to some. A, a long-time center and some seasons classified as a power forward for the Cleveland Cavaliers, among others. Anderson Varejao is, is my guy, and so let me tell you guys a little bit about Anderson Varejao. Uh, he's Brazilian, in case you didn't know. He, is from the, he was born in September 28, 1982, in Colatina, Brazil. If you will indulge me for a moment, I'd like to share with you the, the history portion of the Wikipedia page of Colatina, Brazil, because I promise you it is worth it. So, with that being said, <clears throat> the first attempts to colonize the area where Colatina now lies were in 1857. 46 people established themselves in the area, which was easy at first, as land had already been assigned to each family. This proved unsustainable, though, when the Indians attacked the colony and massacred quite a number of people. In three years, all of the colonists had left the area, and it would be another 30 years before a major influx would start up again. Until then, small advances were made along small river tributaries, which went on until 1925. Only after 1928, After the completion of the bridge over the Doce River, did more stable and sustained growth come to the region. It is a lovely city with lovely people. That is the entire (laughs) history section. That is also pretty much the entire Wikipedia page of Colatina Brazil. And that edit was made September 29th, which as far as I mean, the editors have had time to look at it. I assume at this point it's been verified that Colatina is indeed a lovely city with lovely people.
1: Uh, A lovely city with lovely people that will violently reject <laughs> any attempts uh, at overtaking them, which you love to see it's the rejection of uh, imperialism. Well, let,
0: that defensive identity, I think, was baked into Anderson Barajal very early on because that defensive yeah, identity is really going to be his calling card. He he gets started at 16 when he starts beginning to play professionally. He's going to begin by playing with the Franca Basketball Clube. In Franca is a small city in the Sao Paulo region, Brazil, and he's there for a couple of years. They win in 98 and 99. He is the centerpiece of the team uh, here in Brazil, and he gets noticed by FC Barcelona Basquet. I did not real I I knew that there was you know a very good Barcelona basketball team, and I understood that they called themselves Barca just as Barca did. I didn't realize was owned by literally the same like sports
2: corporation that's how uh, that's yeah. how clubs are in europe where it's it's a club that's owned by its members i think barcelona has you know tens of thousands of members of, of fans who are members of the club they they elect people to run to run the club and then the clubs have teams in dozens of different sports like there could be a barcelona archery team or a barcelona field what? hockey
0: team on the surface level, it is the you know platonic ideal of what sports ownership should be, and with the Green Bay Packers almost, almost approach like that's the closest right. that we have here in America. Yeah, no, it's I I absolutely love uh, getting to learn more about their ownership model because it is beautiful. And yeah, so FC Barcelona, they welcome Anderson Varejao to a very good team, a team that had never won a championship before, but they had aspirations. And he plays, he gets good bench minutes in his first season. He does not play in the 2003 playoffs. It is at this point that he's been signed in 2003, but they win a title. So he does get a ring anyway. And we call that foreshadowing. They actually, immediately after these playoffs, it's, it's their first ever title, qualifies them for the EuroLeague, plays in 22 EuroLeague games, and they, they do win. And he does play in the finals. He has one point. Uh, and he gets a win uh, and and this is the first ever euro cup for for Barcelona as well and two thousand three two thousand and four season they once again win a second cup and do you want to guess how many minutes Anderson Verejo had in the playoffs that year
1: One, we back to zero
0: it is zero it is back to zero. Ah. he did not play in the playoffs, but he does get a ring and so that's now that's happened to him for a little bit, but he's he's during the regular season, he is a regular bench contributor. He's growing into his body. He's, you know, gotten all the way up to, uh, he's like 22, 23 at this point, as he's entering his draft eligibility for the NBA and be able to take a notice. And so he does uh, eventually get drafted in 2004. That is the Dwight Howard draft. He gets drafted by Orlando Magic originally, actually. So Orlando Magic nice. draft Dwight Howard. They draft Anderson Vergeau later in the draft. And then they almost immediately trade him to Cleveland for a package that it, he is included in a package along with picks and players for Tony Petit
1: Tony B- yeah, T- 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 T-
0: goes over to Orlando for Anderson Varejao. he comes to Cleveland. And of course, he is a big man that is there to play in Cleveland alongside LeBron James, who had been taken the year
1: before. I just want to say, so, you know, a lot of people hate that with the NBA draft, you know, guys get drafted and it's like, oh, well, they always end up on all the different teams. I love that shit because we need to lean into like what's weird about sports and like one of my favorite sports pictures is you know Kobe Bryant in his Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte
2: Hornets.
0: Dude, it's it What's the other one? I mean the whole Trey Young Luka Doncic thing. Like that was probably the coolest part of that night was holy shit, they like you thought that one franchise had already made a completely franchise altering decision, and then they switched. And it was incredible. No, I agree with you. I'm entirely for it. And not just because the pick that took Lamar Jackson uh, was a pick traded during the first round by another team in football, one of the
2: rare instances that this happens in another sport. <laughs> the only thing I uh, don't like about that is when the trade happens weeks ahead of time, So we know that this pick is going to be draft, drafted for a dozen okay. other teams. Yeah. They still give the hat. And the, you have to wear the hat knowing that, that this pick was traded a month ago, so you know you're not going to that team. That's a like, fair play. Yeah, I, 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 I love I love the Hornets hat. This is a great team that I'll never be a part of, but, you know. Yeah, and, you, it's definitely. a little <laughs> awkward. It's a little
0: awkward. But anyway, you know, brought into a pretty good situation. I mean, you're playing alongside the ascendant greatest player in the world. You know, whether or not you want to say greatest in history, no, that's a, an entirely different debate. But at the time, he was ascendantly becoming uh, LeBron James, the greatest player in the world. And he gets a lot of really good defensive presence from Anderson Vergeau. Anderson Vergeau, very quickly on, he is a, a good defender. He's not asked to do a whole lot more, but he becomes very quickly on a good defender. We're talking some years where he gets as much as like four defensive win shares. And to put that in perspective, Kawhi Leonard, average Kawhi Leonard season is five defensive win shares. So I'm not saying Anderson Vergeau is defensive player of the year, but he's a good defensive player very early on. Like he is producing on the end that they expect him to produce on. That being said, we are talking to a guy who in 54 games is going to put up 4.9 points and 4.8 rebounds in 16 minutes a game. So he is not putting up huge numbers. He is a big fan favorite, though. And uh, even by, like, the second season, even by the 2006 Bro. season, I guess, it's his third,
1: people love him. We need to mention now just the hair. Like, the hair oh, is a big reason why people oh, love him.
0: Oh, Diaz, you could not have given me a better segue. Let's talk about the hair, and let's talk about an incredibly controversial Guinness World Record. He invented yes. flow. God, you couldn't have set me up for this better. So yeah, he's wild thing. Uh, another nickname that Basketball Reference lists for him is Sideshow Bob, after the
1: fucking oh, I
0: love after that. Kelsey Grammer's uh, Sideshow Bob Terwilliger on The Simpsons. Alvin
2: Lopez is, si- is Sideshow Bob, though. Let's be it's, real.
0: Hey, I'm just telling you what's on Basketball Reference, baby. That's 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 up to those editors. Sideshow but, Roberto. His, his hair, yes, it's huge. And the Cleveland Cavaliers decide to play this up on a February 21st game in Quicken Loans Reason in 2006. They have a, a, a giveaway day where everyone who comes in is given a wig in the stadium. They have 20,562 fans in the arena. They ask them during a timeout in the first quarter to all put the wigs on. And at this time, they lay claim to the most people wearing a wig at once world record, which had previously been held unofficially by the Detroit Pistons from a March 19th game in 2004. They had 6,213 people. Now, you think about that for a moment. That seems like a pretty drastic difference. 20,562, 6,213. Well, here's the thing. Right now, the Cleveland one is not recognized. The one that is recognized is actually a Philadelphia Flyers game. So, a Philadelphia Flyers game on October 30th, later this year, 2006, during which 18,876 fans showed up. But this is the crucial thing. I couldn't get confirmation that this was why Detroit's number was seemingly so low. But this is why Philadelphia, which is credited with the unofficial record right now, is lower than that 20,562 figure. That is because Philadelphia Flyers got... 9,315 signatures from attendees of the game, affirming that during that moment, they wore the wigs. Now, the Cavaliers, apparently there is no such paperwork, no such affirmation was asked for of fans at the game on that fateful night of February 21st, 2006. So when I found out that he was involved in the Guinness Book of World Records chase for most people wearing a wig simultaneously believe me i was already excited when i learned that this was there was this much controversy about the Guinness Book of World Records record for most people simultaneously again which apparently is not officially recognized it is claimed that the Philadelphia Flyers one they have is still unofficial it's a whole controversy
1: this is just an organizational failure by the Cleveland Cavaliers because clearly with the proximity to when the Pistons set the record to when the Cavaliers tried to do this, yes, this is honoring Anderson Varejao who is yeah. an all time yeah. great guy. However, the proximity of that tells me that this was a direct response. This was like the Pistons are our rival. They have a record. We want to beat that record. Let's do it. So no great idea to beat this record. But where is the due diligence by the organization? Like Dan Gilbert, I'm not surprised the man that writes his official emails in Comic Sans failed to overlook some important details. Here. My God! Why, like, hell, like Dan every Gilbert? single
0: time that I remember that that fucking letter is in Comic Sans. I know that Comic Sans, like, actually has some very valid uses for people who have dyslexia sometimes, like the distinctive letters of the characters and and all of that. Like, it does have a valid use in the world. That being said, you do not make a letter that is essentially a press release in Comic Sans. Uh, No, it's an incredibly Cleveland moment to have botched this. James, Uh, I I have a
2: question for you. Please, yes. Did they ever try to even this out by making a... uh... 20,000 people wearing bald caps to, uh, to, to honor the big Z, Zodronitz Ilgowskis. Here's the thing that frustrates me the most about
0: Cleveland this. They never make any attempt like this again, essentially. Like, they, they had this one-time marketing idea. Anderson Barajal plays for another decade with this team after this, and nothing. No, they, they completely drop the ball. It's organizational malfeasance, which is par for the course in the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. That being said, uh, they, you know, they are recognizing this fan favorite. He's a fan favorite for the hair, but he is a fan favorite because he is a pretty good player. In fact, in 2007, his 99 charges that he takes uh, lead the league. You know, he's, he knows exactly what he is uh, supposed to do. In 2007, there's, there are a lot of people in Cleveland that are just falling into good roles. And that is why it is the time that LeBron is able to go on that first title run. Yes, he does get swept by the San Antonio Spurs. Yes, I am taking this as another opportunity to celebrate the San Antonio Spurs, but in 2007, things are looking pretty good. That is, of course, the highest that that initial era of LeBron ever reaches, and Mm. things start to go downhill for the next couple years. Farageau stays about the same. He starts to get banged up a little bit, and if you look at the defensive numbers, they start to dwindle a tiny bit, just naturally because, you know, you're a big guy, and you are going to take hits from from the other big guys in there. And you could you could see in some of the clips that I watched as I was like, just just going into Veritas' career. He still very much is anticipating the screens very well. This is like peak pick and roll switch in action in a lot of these early point guard centric teams in the 2010s. And uh, not that point guards haven't been centric, but like the score first point guard is that was kind of coming up more post AI. He's still very good player. And then he immediately starts to become a very good player on a bad team because, of course, speaking of that Comic Sans letter, LeBron James does take his talents to South Beach, Miami. And we find ourselves with Kyrie Irving a season later, but first there's a whole season of crap. And there's another couple seasons of crap after that. Here's the thing, Anderson Vergeau's offensive numbers are the best of his career there's a couple different ways to look at this. And this is really why, but you know, we were talking about guys that age like a fine wine. And this is why Anderson Vareja popped to me in particular. He's kind of got a nice post game at this time. Like when he's being able to operate as the lead, you know, biggest dude in that uh, low post game, he's got some decent moves. And yes, you know, naturally the the league is moving away from that at this time, but context is so huge to NBA drafting which again I think goes to our discussion of how fun it is sometimes to see people move because the what-ifs in in the NBA I think are sometimes more immediate than the what-ifs in any of the other leagues because it's it's just so quickly like are you in a team that's trying to win right now or not and the differences between the experiences of players those first couple years on those two different kinds of teams are are insane as soon as Cleveland had LeBron they were trying to win with LeBron and you didn't Get to see this guy who put up double-digit point averages in all of his years in Brazil. In his best years in Spain, he's 9.7, but he's got much better rebound numbers than he had later on when you know he's playing with a guy that gets a lot of rebounds. In this vacuum, really starts to take his offensive game up. And it's some of his best offensive seasons by you know, standard and advanced, metrics and I, I think it's it's a testament to like what could have been for Andrew Fairchild because the unfortunate thing is his defensive numbers start to fall off a cliff a little bit. I mean, he gets to have this like offensive renaissance of his career where he gets to become, you know, if not the the first, you know, he's not the first scorer as soon as Kyrie Irving comes there. He might be the second like Biggest offensive piece on the Cleveland Cavaliers during this time after Kyrie Irving for a couple on those of those early seasons. Kyrie
1: signs. Yeah, from like
0: 2011 to 2013, like Tristan Thompson comes in, but man, like was Dion he p- Waiters there yet? 2012 to
1: 2015, usually with the Cavs.
0: So there we go. He's your third option, but he gets to be the third option, and he really, I think, steps up in that. I just, I think this particular part of Anderson Varejao's career is beautiful, but there, there is still like two more whole parts, Yeah, there's the, the, the ending and then the epilogue. The ending is LeBron comes back as we all know. He returns to Cleveland. They go to the championship that first year. Did you know that Anderson Varejao tore his Achilles that first year and does not play in the championship round at all? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, like as, as you enter this world, so too, do you leave it? Anderson Varejao in this first trip to the finals, finds himself uh, on the outside looking in and the Cavaliers uh, fall to the Golden State Warriors four games to two. Uh, starts the
1: next Gidala, season. Andre Iguodala NBA Finals MVP.
0: Andre Iguodala NBA Did Finals. MVP. Andre Iguodala actually drafted the same season as Anderson Vereshow.
1: Right, that is crazy. Yeah, same um, draft.
0: Because Anderson Vereshow is already such like an old man by yeah. that point. To be fair, he'd also played abroad at that point. He was he was in his early twenties. So yeah. right, it's a different uh, a different timeline and all that. But yes, they are draft mates and they are teammates the next year because while he starts with Cleveland, he then goes to Golden State, of course. This time, when they mean the rematch, he is on the losing side again. And Cleveland offers him a ring because he had been on the roster. Or they do offer him a ring. Uh, he does not accept. He does not accept this ring. Don't no, wasn't on the team.
1: I just wanted to say, before we got to that finals, Anderson Varejo barely played for those Warriors teams, which, again, the 73-9 and 9 Warriors, the greatest regular season NBA team of all time. And if they would have finished it off, they would, they would be remembered as the greatest team. So in that Game 7 that they played with the Thunder in the Western Conference Finals, because people forget, you know, they you remember that the Warriors blew 3-1. that 3-1 lead. Yeah. They were down 3-1 the series before against the Thunder. And in Game 7, you know, their two main centers were Andrew Bogut and I believe Festus Ezeli was even ahead yes. of Barry Jowl Yes on the depth chart at that point. But both of them got in Maybe the even David
0: trouble. Lee? Was David Lee on that
2: roster?
1: My boy, David Lee.
2: David Lee, yeah. David yeah. Lee hey. was on For- the
1: roster all-time great Nick he was an all-star with the Knicks I believe right one year
2: was he was our first all-star in I believe a decade after we drafted him I think he was our first all-star since Marbury
1: so in that game seven against the Thunder because of foul trouble Veragel had to come in (laughs) for about two minutes at the end of the third quarter Mm -hmm. and I will I will always remember this about Anderson Veragel the two minutes that he played in that game of a player like I if I went through all the box scores in NBA history of guys that only played two minutes in a game He contributed so much in those two minutes. He had at least two assists. He had a bucket. To your point earlier about uh, when he was the league leader and taking charges, he took a charge. Mm -hmm. And just in two minutes, it went from, I think the Warriors were down four when he entered to they were up four at the end of the quarter. And then he went back to the bench and, you know, the Warriors go on to win that game. But in those two minutes, just talk about a guy that knows exactly what he's in there to do. And that's exactly what he did. He had a wide open layup. He took it. He made it. He had two nice assists because, you know, the South American slash European guys, the big ones, they always know how to pass. He took the charge. I, I, I hope it's saved on YouTube somewhere as, like, just the greatest role player two minutes <laughs> in NBA history. Dennis Rodman, eat your heart out. You never. The greatest two minutes the like guy Anderson at the there.
0: end of your bench has ever contributed.
1: The greatest two minutes on, from the 12th guy on the roster in NBA history. So I just, I needed to, I needed to get that out because I will always remember watching that game. It was at Barnaby's in Westchester is where I watched it. And I remember just freaking out to everybody around me about how good Anderson Varejao was in those two minutes. And obviously people just thought I was a fucking idiot. That's why I'm glad we have this podcast. Cause you guys don't call me a fucking idiot when I geek out about this stuff.
0: Yeah. We are pro Anderson Varejao here. I think he's like, I mean, so he, he comes back for another year with Golden State. They do. Wave him later on, but when they win in round three against KD that time, they offer him a ring. This time he does take the ring. He was on the roster that <laughs> won it and like wasn't on another roster that then lost it. So he does take the ring this time. He ends up never playing in a finals that a team of his wins, except for that one minute in the Barca final and his very first appearance in a, uh, sorry, in the uh, League final for Barca that first time, because then he, you know, Balls out of the NBA, plays a couple years in Brazilian league, Flamengo. And then here's the epilogue. 20, the, the earlier 2021 season, remember how we had another basketball season earlier this year? <laughs> in that season, due to a hardship exemption for the Cleveland Cavaliers towards the end of the season, because they straight up just did not have enough warm bodies to put on the court. Anderson Varejao was signed to two consecutive 10-day contracts for a total of 13 games And Anderson Vera three years removed from the league, came back and he gave them the best damn 10 minutes of 12th man ball you ever did see (laughs) uh, and was and like was so roundly applauded by the Cleveland crowd every single time. It was it was very clear to everyone like, hey, this is nice that we get kind of an extended farewell tour of a player that we didn't necessarily get closure with who honestly, the last time we saw him was beating us or trying to beat us. You know, years later, I love that he could could come back and get that opportunity. He talked very frankly. He said, look, we know this season's not going anywhere. We know that we're playing out the string. I know that this is just to finish out this season, but it he, he talked about how meaningful it was to like get to come back and do that. He is not officially retired. He's listed as, you know, the last time he played was last season with the cleveland cavaliers but for all intents and purposes closed out now with his 632 career games 7.2 career points per game 7.2 rebounds 1.2 assists per game uh and that is anderson barrage what a guy Love it
1: and i honestly i did not even uh recognize watching last season that he got that farewell tour Mm-hmm. the Cavaliers. I mean, that, and that's so cool. I totally
0: didn't even notice. Like, that, that was news to me. I assumed the last thing that he did was collect that Golden State ring and just disappear into the foreign leagues. But no, it was super, like, great to find. I just, like, read a couple articles from the Cleveland newspapers and just really nice emotions from fans and players who were very realistic about the situation that the franchise was in and very appreciative of someone that, that reminded them of better days. We love to see it. So please, fellas, that's my guy. I would love to hear and remember some of yours. So
1: I will, I'll lead us into this. So this is almost somewhat of a continuation from our previous topic, which was guys known best for their contributions on the Olympic scene. And Mm -hmm. uh, this is a guy that has incredible longevity in their sport, made their debut in the 1984 Olympics, competed in the 88 and 92 Olympics as well, took a break in ninety six came back in 2000, took a break in 04. 24 years later, they compete again in the 2008 Olympics. No, I'm sorry, James, but Katie Ledecky is not the GOAT female swimmer. It is actually Dara Torres.
0: So, so to, to give a, a small peek behind the curtain, we give a heads up of what sport we're doing to try and avoid any potential overlap. When he said swimming, I was like, I don't know, a couple, couple options. When I noticed you were saying their career I mean, I like, Fucking Torres, let's go. Katie Ledecky, at the end of her career, will have that spot, but we can continue with that understanding.
1: Katie Ledecky is the Giannis, let's say. But Dara is the Michael Jordan. Dara Torres, born April 15th, 1967. Her first Olympics, of course, comes in 1984. But even prior to that, she was making statements, letting people know what was going to come. At the age of 14... ...Torres wins the National Open Championship in the 50-yard freestyle. The 50 freestyle comes to be her signature event as we move throughout her career. Then we're
0: talking about just totally different kinds of swimmers to be, like, and I will agree, I've seen her sprints. She's incredible. A 50-meter, like, swimming sprint might be one of the most exciting things. I feel like a 100-meter dash is almost too short... To get quite the amount of excitement you get from a 50 meter sprint in swimming, it is just long agree. enough in that sprint life size. Like, I love it.
1: I would agree with that. And I mean, I also feel like in a 100 meter dash, the, the event itself is less than 10 seconds. I feel like by the time five seconds have gone by, you generally know who's going to win. But there's enough time for some drama there, but there was no drama when she was 14 years old and she won the National Open Championship. She beat the reigning champion who was a college junior. So imagine, you know, you're a college junior, you're on top of the world, and in comes this fucking 14-year-old who's, like, maybe a freshman in high school. and Cannot She drive. Just, just wrecks your shit. She can't drive, but if the two of you were in a body of water and you need to get somewhere quicker, guess what? She's going to fucking do it. Also, the fact that her first Olympics comes uh, off the back of her junior year of high school. So, like, oh my imagine God. coming... Imagine coming back for of you <laughs> you
0: know, high, high school the next
1: year. Oh, what did you do over summer? Oh, well, you know, I went to band <laughs> camp, Oh, my oh I god. went to this. I uh, I went to the lake house over the summer. Oh yeah, I went to the, fucking, to the Olympics. fucking Olympics. Oh my god. Just really incredible stuff. Also worth mentioning while we are on the topic of high school, Derek Torres, as is the case with most incredible athletes, of course, she was not just a great swimmer. She also played for her high school's basketball, volleyball, and gymnastics teams. So, she kept th- time. When, when you're a great athlete, you find time to embarrass people in all kinds of
2: sports. <laughs>
1: so, really, no shock that Dara was able to pull that off. We go to the, uh, the 84 Olympics. And sure enough, in her first Olympics, she does strike gold as a member of the 4x1 freestyle relay team. U.S. Um,
0: owns four by one. Let's go. I love that I've learned how much we just fucking own that one category.
1: Always, and that's another like again another one that keeps popping up throughout her career. So she comes back for the '88 Olympics again, qualifies for the one individual event. I'll uh, let you guess what it was. Um, oh, the 50 meter. Not 50 meter. meter. Said- well, it wasn't the 50 oh. meter this time. It was the 100 meter freestyle. Okay finished seventh not quite successful this time around but in the freestyle relay they get the bronze and the hundred medley relay they get the silver so just a silver and a bronze a bit of a step down from what she did four years prior but i guess we'll take it it's okay coming back for 92 barcelona of course those olympics most known for the usa dream team basketball team but while they were busy on the basketball court dara was busy taking care of her own dreams back in the pool they win the gold again in the four by one relay, uh, the freestyle relay. And for most athletes, three consecutive Olympics, this would be a good career. And we're ready to call it. So Dara does for 96, the Atlanta Olympics. She does not participate in her home country. And this would have been it. Except Dara Torres has some more shit to fucking prove. So she comes back for the 2000 Olympics in Sydney after seven years. Like it wasn't even like she just didn't make the 96 team. She took seven years straight up off. Like so, she
0: okay. So that was my big question. It wasn't not doing Olympic competition. It was no competition.
1: No, she's just straight. She up. She was
0: retired. Him. That's she's just straight up mm-hmm. telling.
1: And then she decides to come back. Uh, shout out Richard Quick. What a name for a coach in a speed-based event. Richard Quick. And you know, coming off of you know, she had the she had the one gold in '84. She had the bronze and the silver in '88. She had the gold in 92. If we just get on the podium here, right, we're going to be happy no matter what. If we get on the podium once. Sight, she gets five medals in her return after a seven-year layoff. Five medals.
0: I must ask, how many gold we talking?
1: So, at least two gold. Two uh, gold
0: is so fucking great. Two gold after seven years. Like, you know, the rest of bronze. who gives a shit? Two gold is incredible. Like, I just wanted to hear at least one. If she didn't have at least one gold medal, I was going to criticize this professional athlete that took seven years off and then still placed in <laughs> international competition
1: later. How dare she? So of course the four by one free, the four by one medley, USA cleans up in both of them, she gets gold. The three other medals come as her first individual medals that she's ever won. So she claims the bronze in the 50 meter freestyle, the 100 meter butterfly and the 100 meter freestyle. And she actually, very fun fact here, She shared the bronze in the 100-meter freestyle with her teammate, Jenny Thompson. He had no way to be able to distinguish between who actually got to the end first. So they said, fuck it. You both get a bronze.
0: That's crazy to me that they have extra medals because that has to mean that they have extra. Like, you you, you have to be here
2: yeah uh, yeah it's it's the high jump where those. oh my god the
0: high jump was so beautiful it was the two fucking friends the two friends couldn't couldn't Uh, get separated and they asked i cried watching that like four times and and that was that was both gold
1: right yeah Yeah,
0: i did not watch a lot of this olympics because there was a lot of shittiness about this olympics but i watched that
1: clip like 20 times that was beautiful so you know she gets the two team gold she gets the three individual bronze At 33, she's already become the oldest uh, woman to ever win an Olympic medal in swimming. As the oldest member of that U.S. team, she had more medals than any other uh, U.S. women swimmer that year. You know, this is just a great way to come back, right? And it's a great way to send out your career.
0: Yeah, yeah. You Um, ride out into the sunset.
1: Come back after seven years. Prove that you still got it. 33, you got nothing left to prove. Except Derek Torres still has more shit to prove. She skips the (laughs) 04 Olympics. She gives birth to a child in 2006, and then she comes back and says, you know what I want to do? I want to swim in the fucking Olympics again. So, you know, they're not just going to give her the spot.
0: What's it like to just be in a position where you think to yourself, I'm going to decide whether or not I'm going to be in the Olympics? Like, what's it it like to approach every four years for, we're talking roughly a 24-year period at this point, do I want to do the Olympics this time? Hmm. Yeah. Freeing
2: self-confidence.
0: Yeah, she's a Just, fucking beast.
2: And
1: yes, I mean to your point. Yes, this is 24 years after she's made her Olympic debut. She decides, you know what? I'm not done yet. But as is the case, even with a legend like Dara Torres, you know, at the end of the day, you can have that name, you can be a guy, but you still need to prove that you deserve the spot. So. Sarah has to go back to the U.S. Olympic Trials. And do you know what she does when when she tries for the 50-meter freestyle in the Olympic Trials? She sets the American record at 40 years old in the Olympic Trials just to prove to everybody, like, hey, not only am I going to get this spot, I'm better than all of you that are here. I'm better than all of you that have ever tried to do this. And by the way, this is 16 months after she gave birth to a child.
0: There's got to be several swimmers who are younger than her olympic career
1: yes there are there are certainly I, I don't have the exact roster in front of it's, me but i would guarantee absolutely. there are members of that team that are younger than 24 there just there absolutely is so she sets that record goes on to break the record again at the olympics we'll get to that but a fun fact here she has lowered her own record in the 50 meter freestyle 10 times over the duration of her career Which is the most of any american swimmer in any event so that first time i mentioned that actually was not at the olympic trials that was at u.s nationals um, which is still like potentially qualifying event but then we still need to go to the olympic trials to actually do it that's another time where she breaks her own record again lowers it from 24.53 to 24.38 but that was just in the qualifying for the finals of the trial when we go to the finals of the olympic trials she breaks it again so we go from 24.53 at the u.s nationals 24-3-8 in the semifinal, down to to 24-2-5 in the 50 meter, Just continuing to just trickle that on down. And of course, when we see a 40-year-old woman doing things that we've never seen any swimmer ever do, questions start to rise. She volunteered into the most enhanced program that USADA had. Her exact quote is, I want to be an open book. I want people to know that I'm 41 and I'm doing this right. I'm clean. What she attributed her just, success just to... Just starts
0: handing cups of piss to anyone that comes in.
1: Wait, free piss for anybody? Oh, that's horrifying. Um, that's a
2: horrifying thought.
1: But no, so what she credited to is resistance stretching trainers. So if you guys want to get yourselves some resistance bands, you too might be able to be... That's it. ...a 40-year-old Olympian um, after giving birth to a child. I don't think any of us could do that.
0: You did make it a little bit impossible there at the end, but we got plenty of time till 40. Yeah, I
1: well, who knows how science is going to advance by then? You know, like anything could be possible. But so you know, she qualifies for the Olympics. She got a silver on the four by one freestyle, fifth time in five tries. She got a middle a medal in that event. Obviously, it becomes the uh, oldest swimmer to win a medal in Olympic history. Now, not just in the women's division, but now surpassing even the men. Previously, it was William Robinson at the age of thirty eight in the nineteen oh eight Olympics. So just to put into perspective that. You know, this guy, William Robinson, did this at a time that I'm not saying that the elite athletes at the time weren't elite athletes, but training was not quite what it was at the time. It's more conceivable that an older, very skilled Absolutely. person would be able to hang on.
0: Yeah, we've just um, gotten better at the science of preserving a body.
1: But as, as I've been going through this incredible career that there has had, all these gold medals, all these medals at this age, the one thing I haven't mentioned yet is an individual gold medal, August 17th, 2008. Was Dara's chance to do exactly this, in her signature Go. event, the fifty meter freestyle event, she sets the American record time with a twenty four oh seven. However, unfortunately, there was a non American racing. It was a German by the name of Britta Steffen, and Dara's twenty four oh seven earned her a silver behind Britta Steffen, who swam a twenty four oh six.
0: It's it's the laser suits again. It's the Speedo Laser Suits and the Wild West of the 2008 Aquatic Olympics and all of those crazy records.
1: One one hundredth of a second. I mean, she that's the difference. That was the
0: difference for Michael Phelps in the hundred meter uh, butterfly. Even then, that was like, oh, well, maybe he hit the pad harder, but the other guy hit it
1: first. By, by one one hundredth of a second, she does not get that gold. But there were still world records that were set by Dara in these Olympics. Nonetheless. Her leg on the uh, the 4x1 medley relay coming in at 52.27 is the fastest 100 freestyle split in history at the time that this happened. She set the record. The American record for the 100-meter freestyle as an individual was a 53.39. So, if we were to compare these directly, which, of course, you can't, but the 52.27 in her leg of the 100-meter uh, medley when she did the freestyle would have beaten... The 5339, that was the American record, beats it by a full 1.12 seconds. Damn. To you and me, and to the the listener at home, 1.12 seconds doesn't sound like a lot, but when you watch a event, and especially a sprint event like the 100 meter free, 1.12 seconds
0: crazy difference.
1: A lot of time. That's at least like a body length and a half of difference. Yeah. Because we're talking so, about, we're
0: talking about just in the last race that we discussed, half that length, a a hundredth of a second. And now we're talking hundred and fifty times that.
1: You know, with, with these Olympics now, Dara is at twelve medals. She's in a three-way tie with uh Natalie Coughlin and Jenny Thompson for twelve medals. But if we know anything about Dara, Dara doesn't like settling for tied. Dara wants the most. Dara wants the best. So she has to get uh, reconstructive surgery on one of her knees. But if you think that's going to stop Derek Torres, get the fuck out of here. She gets reconstructive surgery on her knee. And at the age of 45 now, she is still trying to qualify for the Olympics. She goes to the U.S. Olympic trials. And at this point, she knows all I've got is my specialty, the 50 meter freestyle. So she easily gets through the qualifying heats. She gets to the final. And the way that the U.S. Olympic trials work is you need to finish top two for an individual event to earn the qualifying spot. So the 50 meter happens, and unfortunately, a few more hundredths of a second than she had her heart broken last time. But by 0.09, she does finish in fourth, 0.09 behind the second place qualifier Carolyn Joyce. And so ends the Olympic pursuit, and so ends the Olympic career of Dara Torres. But I still think it's absolutely incredible that you know, because everybody remembers from those 2008 Olympics, all the talk about how incredible it was that Dara was doing this. She just gave birth to a child. She's 41. Even when she was, let's go back again. When she was 33, she was the oldest Olympian for US women's uh, swimming ever.
0: She had a whole nother one in her
2: baby.
1: Eight (laughs) years later at 41, she just like sets the record completely out of reach. And then even still, she wanted to come back at 45. And if not for 0.09 seconds, she would have. That's an uh,
0: amazing career. Like, I, I, I hope that doesn't, you know, bother her at all because that's a fucking incredible career.
1: I would hope not. But so that ends the swimming career of Dara Torres. Um, just a couple other interesting notes about Dara that I did want to note. If you've not seen Dara Torres, she is gorgeous. Um, <laughs> so she had a professional career as a model as well. And I think this is a fun claim to flame. She was the first swimmer to appear in the SI swimsuit issue. She's remained you know, active within the world. She's helps with a lot of companies. And in August 2009, she joined Canna Brands, which is a CBD health and wellness company. She is the chief wellness and lifestyle officer. Um, it. Dara's still finding ways to stay busy, continue to just get higher and higher and higher uh, in the world. <laughs>
0: up but, that corporate uh, ladder.
1: She's, she, she just keeps on climbing, uh, puff puff up and away. Dara Torres. Terra Torres, what a fucking guy!
0: I forgot that she took off in the middle. because I, I thought you know, already. Oh, you just keep fucking doing it. That's already insane. To go away and come back is
1: just not. Cool. And she and she did um, it twice. She skipped yeah. the 90, 96 in Atlanta and the O four in Athens, and then okay. just both times still comes back with more to prove.
0: I think like think of how much higher that medal count could be if she did the two, and yet still fucking record holder. Oh yeah, that's that's absolutely. Crazy. Records are meant to be broken. I love my girl, Katie Ledecki. She'll, get there. Sure She'll get there. She'll get there.
1: As of this recording, Derek Torres, the U.S. swimming. Girl. I'll,
0: I'll accept that for right now. My girl Ledecky's coming. North Baltimore Aquatic Center. What up?
2: Xavier, who you got for us this week? And that, that's a hard one to follow. But before I, uh, I give my guy, I want to give a couple of quick shout-outs. One Diaz just reminded me of, that Australian equestrian rider, the 62 year old man who competed in the Olympics this year, his eighth Olympics. Oh my goodness. Uh, Andrew wow. Hoy. His first was 84 in LA, still competing 2020 in Tokyo. And he won two medals he won a team silver and, and, and an individual bronze. So shout out to, to Andrew Hoy uh, of Australia. Shout out, All, Andrew Hoy. Definitely going to be a guy of
0: the day at some point soon. <clears throat>
2: Australian, really I probably would have brought him because maybe maybe someone would have heard of this man. NBA seventy fifth anniversary team just dropped. Shout out to Carmelo Anthony for making the greatest seventy five players in the NBA list. Shout, shout out, to, him so shout very out
0: to George Gervin, David Robinson, Tim Duncan. Apparently, they snubbed Manu. Kawhi's in there? Yeah, but like Kawhi is one of those guys who's probably not going to want to go in as a spur.
2: And like I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I digress. That's all right. Moving on after those quick shout-outs, I had to go to hockey for this. A shout-out to hockey in general, just the sport with the most 40-something-year-olds still producing at high levels. Shout-out to Yammer Jagger's mullet. I'm sure he's still playing in the Czech Republic at the age of 50 somewhere. And shout-out to Nicholas Lindstrom, who I was considering bringing. He's too good. He did win all seven of his Norris trophies after the age of 30. Can I tell you that I had the exact same problem
0: looking at Nicholas Lindstrom? better half of his career is that second half but it's just too good of
2: a second half it's too too good it's too fucking good he's not a guy he's nicholas lindstrom the guy i did bring who had good second half and later of his career but not in the nicholas lindstrom uh level is brian rafalski toronto maple Leafs, right jersey devils and detroit red wings was he on the was he on the red wings team that had the the two finals against the penguins he was indeed
0: those two back-to-back series of Penguins Red Wings, like that, really kind of started to get me into hockey. I, I I love a lot of players on those teams, even though then I like you know became a Canucks fan and fucking hated the Red Wings for a while. <laughs> and the Penguins are the Penguins, and I also kind of fucking hate them. But hey, I appreciate them for being a formative part of my hockey fandom.
1: And I just want to say, not in my own defense, but in support of Brian Rafalski as a guy, if you can get like a team that they were on wrong but you remember the name. I think that's like a very, <laughs> I, w- I don't want to say defining characteristic, but it emphasizes his guidance.
2: That, that's fair enough. It, definitely more of a guy than, than Nicholas Lindstrom. You know, he did play with Nicholas Lindstrom. Brian Rafalski has the same birthday as Anderson Vergeau, September 28th. Uh, he was born a little earlier, 1973. Uh, he was born in Dearborn, Michigan. I know okay. James knows the importance of Dearborn, Michigan highest Muslim population in uh oh my Percapta. goodness yes
0: it's a beautiful immigrant community there's a beautiful lot of place. really vibrant like beautiful immigrant communities that it's really cool to learn about in the Midwest and that side note is a continuation of this tradition of the Midwest having these massive immigrant communities and the reason that I'm bring this up is because it's super fucking relevant to sports. Like it's the reason we have the Minnesota Vikings. It's the reason we have the Green Bay Packers. What was happening is everyone that couldn't get to New York and just stay in New York would actually come to Baltimore, the second biggest immigration port in the 1800s, and then just take the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, first like railroad going out west, and they'd all just end up in Michigan and Minnesota, and that's just continued. And like you know, look, we can say a lot of things about the politics of the Midwest at times, but there is a history of like a lot of very beautiful, vibrant immigrant communities finding root there. You just hope that the communities that found root there in the past Continue to pay that hospitality forward to the ones of the present who find themselves in that hardship. Anyway, that's my soapbox. I apologize. Uh, please <laughs> no, don't, no, tell no us worries. more about Rafalski.
2: So, um, Ben Rafalski, Nate Bloomer, had almost a non-existent junior hockey career. He played one season for the USA Tier Two NAHL Melvindale Blades for Melvindale, Michigan. So. The way hockey is set up is you do juniors before college or being drafted. So that's separate from minor leagues like the AHL. So in Canada, you have I, the major juniors, and in the OHL. U.S., it's a tier, it's a tier yeah. system. There, there's tier one, tier two, tier three, et cetera. So Melvindale, tier two team, part of the NAHL. don't even have a Wikipedia page. This is, this is very low-level amateur hockey, not the yeah. kind that oh, any legitimate – hockey prospect would be playing in. Gosh. Don't even have any stats for him for this year. After one year at Melvindale, he moved to tier one for the USHL and played for the Madison Capitals. At this point, not a considered legitimate hockey prospect, not drafted. This was back when they had 11 rounds for the NHL draft. Then he went on to play at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, staying in Madison, played four years, was a WCHA All Star uh, his senior season? Still, no NHL interest. A bloomer. He was short for defenseman, only about five ten. Defensemen for hockey are usually fairly tall.
0: Yeah, um, exactly.
2: Like, fucking Sedano Char is what six body. seven, six eight. Yeah. So, n- with no uh, no no prospects in America, he moves to Sweden. Brian Falbralski. Uh, okay. moved to Sweden. Played uh, one year with Brinas in Sweden, didn't do anything. So then he moves to Finland. He plays three years in Finland, one with HPK and two with HIFK. And so in his third year with HIFK, he won the Koltenein Kaipara, which is Finnish for the Golden Helmet. the award <laughs> for the best player in the Finnish Liga as voted on by the players. He was the first non-Fin to ever win this award. The next non-fin to win this award is someone that we have to, we had talked about previously. He decided not to talk about on this podcast because he's a piece of shit. We could say it's Tim Thomas. <clears throat> Fuck Tim Thomas. Tim Thomas Fuck was Tim the Thomas. next was was the next non-fin to ever win this award. After winning the Golden Helmet, Sporting News named him as the best hockey player in the world that was not in the NHL.
0: That like list of best hockey player not in the NHL that's gotta be a rich text of guys. Absolute just chef mm, mm,
2: kiss uh please continue so in the summer of 1999 finally was signed by an nhl team and signed with the devils as a free agent he made his nhl debut at the age of 26 in the 99 2000 season in that year he made the all-rookie team and won the stanley cup he spent seven years with the devils his best scoring season was his last year in oh uh, six oh seven when he had fifty five points, including forty seven assists, age of thirty three.
1: Uh, nice. Overall,
2: with the Devils, he made three All Star teams and won two Stanley Cups. So, you know, making making the most of his limited time in the NHL after
1: not a bad run Dude, with,
2: a very long time. With that many assists, was he like? Did he get power play minutes for them or something like that? Because that seems like a really good facilitating defender. I, I couldn't see anything that said how much power play minutes that he got. I would, I would that's have cool. to assume that he was quarterbacking the power play with that many assists. If he's getting numbers like that, that's that's pretty phenomenal.
0: That's great. So and, and okay, he plays all that with the Devils, and then what does he
2: do with the Red Wings? So after oh six oh seven, he moved to his hometown Detroit Red Wings. There. He then played in two straight Stanley Cup finals. Oh <laughs> my god. Yeah, the, uh, and that's so beautiful, right? Because he's
0: from Dearborn.
2: Yep, and, and while with while with the Red Wings, he puts up two of the three uh, highest scoring seasons of his career. First season, 55 points, tying his best ever from his last season with the with the Devils to the next season, fifty-nine points, ten goals, forty-nine assists. So his best season's coming in that thirty-three to thirty-six range.
0: It's an interesting like age curve for a defender where we talked about you know, it's a position where you're just going to get beaten up a lot. And so seeing someone not only like sustain success that long, but like blossom in some ways at that point, or at least like capitalize on success at that
2: point. Especially for you oh. know, a much shorter defenseman. Yeah. Know, just couldn't just rely on being much bigger than everyone and just hitting people.
0: What if Russell Wilson just started throwing, like, big-ass blocks on dudes, just stiff-arming
2: motherfuckers like Derrick Henry? I mean, that would be if pretty, anybody could, it be crazy. Russ. So, Rafalski, he also had, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty good career internationally. He played for the U.S. at three consecutive Olympics. He got the silver in 2002 in Salt Lake City. In 2010, he was one of the alternate captains on the team. And was named to the all-tournament team and named the best defenseman of the tournament at the age of 36. Unfortunately, it was also his defensive lapse in overtime that let Sidney Crosby score the game winner. He's the mm-hmm. best defenseman all-tournament, and then one fuck-up right at the end.
0: It was so bittersweet to watch Roberto Luongo win on home ice in Vancouver. God, that was, that was a difficult gold medal uh, final for me to as a, as a canucks fan
1: that whole olympic hockey tournament was just incredible because like usa and canada played in group stage as well and like and that was a an insane game i think like that was like i, a five I remember two,
2: i think I,
1: you know so i think it was like a 4-2 or a 5-3 game where usa got an empty netter at the end because i remember like zach parise who could be another guy someday he had, like, some kind of crazy effort play to get that empty net goal. And, like, and I don't even really like hockey. So, for me to distinctly remember a hockey game from over a decade ago, you
2: know that was a big one. Kessler scored the, the empty netter. Two goals in that game. Yeah. So. Four silver medal ever. So, Rafalski, after the disappointment of the, the, the highs and the lows of, of uh, the Olympics, is one more season with the Red Wings. Still pretty good but ends up having to retire after some knee and back injuries. Did try to make a comeback three years later. Signed with the best-named minor league hockey team in all of America, the Florida Everblades.
1: Okay, so full circle back
2: to the Blades. Fortunately, he was only able to play three games for the Everblades before having the same, the same injuries. He retired, was inducted into the USA Hockey Hall of Fame, he had a pretty good career for someone who was passed over by the NHL five times. He didn't get to make his debut until he was 26. So yes, definitely. My of, guy, uh, that's my guy, Brian Rafalski.
0: That's he. A great I guy. Mean, what a, what a great late bloomer. No, this is a tough trio for hall of guy. This is difficult. Look, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to start off by saying I'm still pretty partial to Anderson Varejao with the wig controversy. The wig controversy really kind of locked me on Anderson Varejao. If I had to go with the second guy, if I had to say my number two, I
2: think it's Torres. My number one is Torres. Oh. I, I think I think it has to be Dara Torres. There is the question of whether the goat of USA women swimming can be guy or if I, I mean here's the thing: if you ask guy, most
0: people, so. if you ask most people who's the greatest American female swimmer, people are going to say Katie Ledecky right now. She's forgotten enough. She certainly qualifies as a guy. I don't think we need to question her guy credentials. There's, there's no. In the case my vote is 100
2: for Dara Torres. Yeah. Think, okay. I if we Daratoris can, Dara Torres is the best.
0: Diaz, yes, I, I presume you're also going to go there, and if that's the case, I'm, I'm happy to say that my second place choice uh takes it. So I'll, I will defer to the wisdom of the crowd. Dara Torres, welcome to the Hall of Guy. Joining such luminaries as. Damian Miller, we got Nolan Rymold,
2: Arroyo. Arroyo.
0: We have Arroyo, Arroyo, and now we have Derek Torres. Uh, the Hall of Guy, beautiful moments. That was a pleasure to remember all three of those. If you want to remember some guys with us between episodes, we we try to do a guy of the day every day on the Twitter. That's at Remember guys Pod on Twitter. Email us anything you want that isn't like a dick. Anything else about guys is totally fine. Just talk about sports with us at Remembering Guys at gmail.com we're we're on i think all the platforms at this point i finally got us on google this week so on google yeah rain review anywhere you want we got the videos on youtube if you want to watch it on youtube i figured out timestamps. look at me
1: what i would say if if uh if you folks are still listening James, what was that email again
0: remembering guys at gmail.com
1: so remembering guys at gmail.com, if you want to send us your candidates for guys, I think it would be great for us to enter litigation. We can discuss the, the guy merits. Um, we can litigate. We can see if they would qualify as a guy or not. So litigation, I just really, I, I made that wordplay a little earlier uh, before we were recording. I really liked it. I wanted to make sure it made it to the air.
0: Hey, it's exactly as good as I thought it was going to be, which is pretty good. Solid thumbs up. Well, that's all the time we have for you guys today. This, thank you for joining us. Do remember that guy?
2: I am your co host, James. I'm the rotating permanent co host, Xavier.
1: And I am your fellow co host, Diaz. And today we took one small step for Guy, but one giant leap for Guy Kind. Till next Sunday. Uh, good thing that this is the game